1: Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today are Ben McKenzie and Ken McKenzie. They are respectively a neuroscientist and an attorney in San Francisco. They are also the hosts of No Sports Trivia, a trans feminist podcast that you should listen to right after this episode of Dear Prudence. <laughs> Guys, I did not catch that when I first saw your introduction. <laughs> Very smooth.
0: Hello, welcome to the show. Hi. We're actually Ben McKenzie and Ken McBenzie.
1: I'm so sorry. That that I misread that. You are quite right. My brain just (laughs) flips right over that. Ben McKenzie and Ken McBenzie. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Guys, how's it going? Obviously great, because uh, as our listeners do not know, but you yourselves know, we, right before launching into this episode, sat and watched the greatest music video of all time, (laughs) Wish and Boot. I would say it's going great, (laughs) and I would say it's related to that music video. I love that one so much. Nicole, my business partner, and I send it to one another all the time. It is a song very much in the style of sort of inspirational early 90s uh, country music. Think, you know, the Judd sisters, certainly. Um, and it is about the wish and boot, a little boot that makes all your dreams come true. And it's sometimes full of food and sometimes it's a dog in disguise. And it's always and there know. when you need it. Yeah. And you should never let it go. Do you feel
0: inspired by the wishing boot? I do. Deeply. You should just take what it gives you and not ask too many questions.
1: So, so often that is (laughs) advice that we should always be taking and giving. That's the only advice
0: I give today. The
1: only (laughs) advice today is just take what the boot gives Gives you you and ask no questions. Don't ask too many questions. Honestly, I think that that would be pretty useful general advice for a lot of uh, the folks who write into this column.
2: Yeah, just one phone-a-friend card of, I'm going to tap the wishing boot in on this one. (laughs) Yes!
1: Okay, everybody gets that at least once this episode. Um, I'm also really excited that you guys are here because there was a letter in today's mailbag where I had said fully that my intention was to say, gosh, I I don't even know any good advice to to give you. I'm just so sorry, and I want to empathize. But Ben, you were like, oh, well, actually, I've worked on cases almost exactly like this one, and I have a lot of relevant advice that I can offer. Uh, And I didn't even realize that you were uniquely situated to help me answer this question. I choose to believe that that was the work of one wish and boot. That is boot related. Yeah, that was or the I boot. You came out, it was a out of the wish and boot. boot. <laughs>
0: yeah. You
1: came out of the wish and boot to help me today, and don't I'm ask, very excited.
0: Don't ask too many follow-up questions. Yep,
1: yep. <laughs> All right. So in that spirit and in that vein, let's jump into our questions. The first one, the subject is simply return of the terrible boss. Which happens so often in life, it seems. I get a lot of letters from someone who says, like, I switched companies, I switched fields, I moved across the country, and this horrible boss I used to work with and thought I had escaped forever has shown up again like a bad penny. So, dear Prudence, during my first job out of graduate school, I had a terrible boss. I was fortunate to maneuver myself to a new supervisor pretty quickly, but her domineering presence was disastrous for the whole division. No amount of authority was too small to exploit over her employees. When the division vice president left, her mentor and the only person who liked her, she quickly left the company too. And we discovered that many of her projects were over budget or otherwise distressed, and that the VP had been covering for her. Fast forward four years, and I have a wonderful new job that I've been excelling in for four months. It's great work, great people great company. However, they are hiring a new senior manager, and my old boss's name is on the short list of people they will bring in for interviews. When not actually in charge of anything, she's engaging and personable. I have no doubt that she will stand out. My question is, how do I go about bringing this up? Do I say something about her past behavior and performance? I'm pretty new here and fairly junior in the field, so I don't want to seem presumptive. On the other hand, if they hire her, I will have to find a new job. I absolutely can't work with or for her again, and I'm sure I wouldn't be the only one to go. All right, guys, bring your professional wisdom and expertise to bear. What do we do for this letter writer?
0: Well, the thing about this letter writer is that they are in a really tricky position in that they self-describe as junior and therefore don't feel it seems like they have a lot of power or authority about the decision making going on here, but they also have access to the decision making that's going on here. They saw the short list. That means they're somehow involved in this hiring process in some way, and their input presumably, if they're seeing the list of people who are being considered, some portion of their input would be welcome in this process, if they're in this position to begin with. Assuming Um, they
1: didn't just, like, see an email they should not have seen.
0: That's true. Assuming you didn't see an email that you shouldn't have seen, um, you have access to the shortlist, therefore you should disclose some of this information, but I think you need to be as neutral as possible when you do that.
1: That seems fair. Yeah, I, I think generally people are not asked for their input on a hiring uh, possibility that is, like, way above their pay grade um, for, you know, reasons. Uh, it, it is not customary to ask somebody who would be working for somebody whether or not they should be hired. I get it. <laughs> um, but I think this – if 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 it does come up, if you are in any way involved in the hiring process, if you were to mention neutrally, yes, I know such and such person. We used to work together. And you are then asked for, hey, what was your impression of them? Uh, what did you guys work on together? What are your thoughts? You can share, again, a carefully worded version of events because you don't want to make it sound, especially since you are new and junior, um, you don't want to put yourself in a position where they hire her against your word and then everyone remembers you were against it.
0: And if you want them to weight your opinion, you need to be very, very careful to frame it um, as though it's a concern, a professional concern and not some issue with a relationship that you had with her. Um, And you have data, right? Her projects were over budget. You have very specific... Um, relevant information that you can give in a neutral tone that should influence this hiring decision in the way that you think it should be influenced.
2: Right. I think one disclosure and then back right off is the way to go. If you work for a great company filled with great people, then they're going to take that really seriously and they're going to have a great response to it. And if they don't, if they don't listen to you, if they don't value that contribution or take you seriously Or for whatever reason, it just doesn't otherwise go well. One, you learn something about your company. It may not be the fit for you if they have poor hiring judgment. But also, yeah, I think you should be prepared to leave. And you know that this is a possibility. So begin evaluating your options. We live in a time where very few few people stay in a job for a long time. So... You know, sometimes we have to keep on moving and you may have to move out of this job. And I think making peace with that possibility uh, and having a little bit of an escape route may be a good choice for you.
1: Yep. And I think the only other thing that's important to remember is when you do offer that one piece of information, and again, I think that's important because you don't want to seem like you've been carrying around a grudge list um, or that you're trying to torpedo her chances, stick with the fact that all of her projects were over budget. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't talk about her domineering presence, because one is really black and white. You can point to a record. It's not arguable. And the other one might suggest, since they don't know you very well, that maybe there was an individual personality clash. And you don't want to give them that sort of room to misinterpret what you're saying
0: for sure stick to the data and good luck i hope they don't hire her
1: <laughs> all right would you care to read our second letter
0: i would love to sharing my young daughter with her father's mistress dear prudence i'm recently divorced from colin we're in our early 30s and have been together since college I thought we were in love, but when I was eight months pregnant with our first child, he confessed he'd fallen in love with a woman I thought was my friend. Now our daughter is six months old, and Colin's finally moved out. I still feel traumatized and raw, but I want to do what is best for my daughter. Colin is engaged to his mistress, which means she'll play a major role in our daughter's life. What's more, Colin tells me she loves our daughter and can't wait to meet her. I know this is the best I could hope for in this situation— that my baby stepmother will welcome her with open arms. But I'm also furious that I have to share motherhood with this interloper. I've lost the ability to make so many choices recently, but this hurts the most. This person
1: is really trying their best to see things on the bright side. (laughs) I just want to give you a hug, letter writer. Like, this is... I get what you're saying, but it's also okay that this is not the best you could have hoped for. The best you could have hoped for is for a lot of things to be very very different
0: yeah like i while reading this letter i couldn't help but notice that it did not contain a question Uh, i really i feel like this person needs their pain to be validated and i just want to say that your pain is coming through loud and clear i hear it your feelings are valid yeah this sucks
1: this sucks you thought you were in love You thought you and your husband were happy. You were a month away from giving birth. And your husband not only says, I've been having an affair with someone. Your husband says, I'm in love with someone else. And it's someone you thought was your friend.
0: This is an incredibly traumatic experience. To be experiencing this kind of major life upheaval while going through pregnancy and childbirth is unfathomable to me. Yeah.
2: I see this as two issues that while not impossible to entirely separate, would be served well by the clearest boundaries you can manage. One is the trauma that you experienced. For that, I would recommend a personal therapist to cope with the trauma that's been done to you. And also finding support. Tragically, you're not alone. So many people have been wronged by their partners in similar ways that Um, Depending on your resources and where you live, you may find you know great in-person live groups of other people who have gone through this or just online forums. You're going to find a lot of people. And I think it would be very helpful for you to find someone that you really – a few people that have been through this and are a few years forward on the trajectory so you can see how they came out through it and learn from what went well and didn't for them. That's one issue. Take care of yourself is number one. And in that line, get as much distance from your ex-husband as possible. Personally, that's done. That's over. I don't think a friendship or any kind of you-and-him relationship moving forward is going to serve you well. Um, Next issue is your baby. Congratulations, you have a baby. I'm so glad that this child is loved by you and her father and prospectively by a, a incoming stepmother a lot of parents have navigated this so you're not alone in that either tools for that include have if you've just been through a divorce you may have a mediator or access to good mediator referrals having a mediator on deck that you can use as an on needed basis on an as needed basis moving forward could be a really good tool in your toolbox but um i think that having a really bright line to say And I will deal with you, too, as parents of my child. And I'm going to have, you know, again, go to your therapist and maybe ask for CBT skills. Nonviolent communication is really going to help you here. There are lots of worksheets about hierarchies of goals and priorities, you know, which is more important in this situation, your dignity or an outcome for your child. So going, so again, you've got two therapy goals. One is personal coping with your trauma. The second is practical. CBT may help you there, and that is getting the communication and strategic skills to navigate these really challenging at-first waters, but we see it every day. We see blended families manage this beautifully.
0: I also just kind of want to look deep into this person's eyes through the radio and tell them that you do not have to share motherhood with this interloper. (laughs) <laughs> While your child may have a stepmother in her life, you are her full, whole, and complete mother, yep. and that is unchanged by this.
1: Yep, and I think too, kind of implicit that, that that was so helpful in terms of specific advice. And I just also want to encourage you, letter writer, um, not to feel like just because you want what's best for your daughter that you have to move really quickly into being super comfortable with everything um please do not feel like you have to have a really friendly jovial convivial european style relationship with your ex (laughs) and his new wife you're like oh we all get supper together what's an affair i don't care about any of those things we're modern like you do not have to do that that should not be a goal if if all you get for now and the foreseeable future is i can be civil When we exchange parenting duties, and that is it, that's great. Great job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're not, like, losing it in front of your daughter or yelling at this woman in public, you are doing a great job, and you should pat yourself on the back. So please don't feel like you need to get happy for your ex-husband. You do not. Um, You need to be polite and to not put the burden of your emotions on your daughter, and that is it. That is the extent of your obligation. It has been six months. You know, six months ago, you thought you and your husband were about to have a baby together, and now you're trying really hard to convince yourself that it's going to be okay, and it is, but it's not going to feel okay tomorrow, and it still sucks what happened. So just if nothing else, give yourself a lot of permission to say, my goal is not to become dear, close dining companions with these two. My goal is to not hurt my daughter, um, to be civil uh and to set boundaries extreme boundaries <laughs> yes <laughs> because this guy i mean what he did to you just sucks you know yeah. like I, I i'm not saying you have to hate him for the rest of your life but it just sucks mm-hmm. and um you can be a good co-parent and not um and not say well i know this is the best i can hope for given the situation you can just say i hate the situation
0: i hate the situation yeah the situation yeah. is terrible
1: Oh, well, good news. We have more uh, <laughs> like divorce fallout uh, on the horizon. All right. This next letter is reminding me that I have really loaded up today's episodes with just some heavy, <laughs> heavy feelings. So I apologize. I should have had one about like, I'm always fighting with my friends about what toppings to get on our pizza. <laughs> um, but here we are. Here it is. Uh, it's called Turf at Work. And For those of you who are not familiar with the expression TERF, it stands for uh, trans-exclusive radical feminism. Uh, And it's essentially someone who tries to claim that feminism should be transphobic, which is bad. (laughs)
2: That's (laughs) my definition of it.
1: Um, So just so you know where I'm coming from before we read this letter, that's my my take. I think it's a bad idea. Um, Dear Prudence. I would like some advice on how to be a good ally to the trans community. Recently, I got a new coworker, Beatrice, who at first seemed like a progressive feminist, but over the course of a recent social gathering began to display transphobic ideas. At the time, I argued with her about her unfounded assumptions and fears about trans women, but I'm conflicted about what to do going forward. We are both part of a small community of English speakers living abroad, and so this group of colleagues is also my social circle. I saw Beatrice again at a group picnic, and she was entertaining and friendly, and didn't repeat any of her earlier sentiments. But knowing about her anti-trans attitude makes me dislike the idea of forming a friendship with her. Her trans-exclusionary radical feminism will always be on my mind when we interact. Should I try and minimize our contact to be polite but distant? Or should I pursue a friendship in the hopes of influencing her attitude? I know it's incredibly difficult to sway someone from their beliefs, but I also know that people are more likely to listen to people that they consider friends. Beatrice is also bisexual, and as a queer woman myself, I believe it's imperative to support the most vulnerable members of our community. Do I have a moral obligation to try and bring the topic up again, with more evidence to support my points, or should I only address it if she says something else on the topic? What say you, friends? (laughs) This one's definitely, like, there's the added complexity of we all work together, and... We live in a different country, and we're in this kind of enclosed bubble, and we're also both queer women. There's a lot of, like, inside baseball within inside baseball. I think
0: that's the key, though. I think the fact that she is in a tiny bubble with this woman um, changes at least a little bit for me the advice that I would give, in that I think she has a real chance here to do something cool. Um, She has what to me was described as a small social circle of expatriates who all hang out together and apparently at their social gatherings talk about um, things related to whether or not trans women are women. She can really take the lead in these discussions, in that case, to um, suggest strongly that they are. Um, And I think in small communities, in small bubbly communities like this, you can establish what the norms are um, if you are organized and consistent enough about it and
2: care about it enough, which it seems like this literator does. My note is, you're doing it right, exclamation point. Keep going.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot right here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not like, oh, no, how do you help me after it? Like, you were appropriate. You pushed back. um, You you made it clear that you were not on board with her transphobic sentiments. um, And then, you know, the conversation moved on. So like you both addressed it and also didn't have like a knockdown drag out fight with a coworker. Mm -hmm. Um, And now you're trying to figure out how to strike an appropriate balance moving forward. And all of that is good. And I say a big thumbs up to that.
2: Yeah, you pushed back once and have not seen the bad behavior repeat. So I think that you already made good progress. I'm hopeful um, that the proof is in the pudding. One thing. So she's the newcomer and you've already got credibility in this social group. So you've got I I've see two good strategies. One is for the social group to model emphatically trans inclusiveness. But another is to pull her aside as a friend and say, hey, Beatrice, I really like you. I'm so excited that you moved here. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have another queer woman in this small community. You made a couple of comments the other day um, that really got under my skin, and I want to do a check-in because what I've seen of your heart so far is great, and this seems really inconsistent with my otherwise great opinion of you. Can we just, like, and basically give her no way out but the good way and say, you couldn't possibly feel this way. Can you just confirm for me that trans women are women and that you're a good-hearted person and I can trust our friendship? Because sometimes... I've had conversations like that go great, where I just give them a script and say, please just nod. Um, Because she really needs your friendship. She's the newcomer. She's on much shakier ground and wants to impress you, wants to get into this friend group. And if she's told the rules very clearly, very early, it might make a big difference. I think she's already possibly taken your feedback once.
1: I uh, this is interesting to me because there's part of that that I, I, I like and there's part of that that I worry could be like disingenuous, which mm-hmm. is I like the, the idea that like the rules of the group are like we don't espouse publicly transphobic <laughs> ideas because it's cruel. Like in the same way that if someone was yelling a racial slur, mm-hmm. we would get mad, which not to compare. I know sometimes it's really easy to go down the path of like equating transphobia and racism and different things are different and that is OK. But, yeah, absolutely to say like the standards are. We don't talk about other people like they're not people. We don't misgender people. We don't call into question somebody else's gender identity. Um, But I think kind of saying your friendship with me is contingent upon (laughs) agreeing with this. I I think it would be better to say, I believe really strongly um, in trans inclusivity. Uh, I believe that trans women are some of the most vulnerable members of the queer community and that, uh, you know, we have a duty to honor and protect vulnerable members of the queer community. Um, And like I would... Be happy to talk about this more with you um, and and to sort of assume that she's coming more out of a place of ignorance than anything else. But I I think I would differ slightly in saying, I know you're a good person. You want to be my friend. Therefore, say this to me. Um, I think I would encourage the letter writer to more say, here's what I believe to be true. If you ever want to talk a little bit more about it, I'd be happy to share with some of what I've read or what I've learned about the subject and why it's really important to me. I think that would be my only tweak.
0: I think if you if she wants to bring this up in a group context rather than in a one on one, your strategy there would be don't make it about this person, Don't connect her to these attitudes, but in the sort of vein of setting the rules for the group, problematize trans-exclusive radical feminism focus on that. Dismantle her attitudes without connecting her to those attitudes so that she can seamlessly segue into attitudes that are palatable.
1: Right. And especially, too, if you know other members of your friend group who who value like queer solidarity and trans inclusivity, have those conversations. Say, Absolutely. like, I like Beatrice and I'm really concerned. And it just reminded me of all the ways in which, like, sometimes trans exclusivity comes up. And, and I want to talk about how do we think about that? How do we handle it? What do we value? What do we stand for? And hopefully you will have have other friends in your community who feel similarly, and you guys can have that conversation as well. But yes, good, good. You're doing good work. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Um, I hope very much that um, being connected with you, Beatrice, is able to learn a little bit more um, and to move away from transphobia and trans exclusivity because that's just bad. <laughs> Beginning and <laughs> closing with my personal God take, um, which is don't be. Trans exclusive. Don't be bad. Yeah. All right, friends. <laughs> uh, just jumping from like heavy dark lily pad to heavy dark lily pad. This next letter, I believe it's your turn to read. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm sorry. Am
0: I living a lie? <clears throat> Dear Prudence, my husband Craig and I have been married for three years. He is wonderful and shares my progressive feminist sex positive politics. Craig identifies as bi. I'm a queer woman. Before we met, he was involved in a queer core band and lived near the local university. I'm a visual artist, and I recently had a show that included an About the Artist section that had a photo of me with Craig. During the show, Craig wasn't there, a young woman approached me looking very distressed. Annie took me aside and said she recognized Craig and that he had coerced her into sex when she was a college student. Basically, that he wouldn't let her use the phone to call a friend at 3 a.m., this was before cell phones, and told her if she didn't want to have sex, she'd have to leave, but she didn't have money for a cab. She said she'd frequently seen him in the neighborhood with other college-aged women. He was in his late 30s when she was in college. Nothing she described rose to the level of rape, but sounded not at all like the husband I know. She mentioned where his apartment was and a diner I know he frequents, but nothing else rings true. She was also very girl-next-door looking, and I know his type has always been a bit more quote-unquote alternachick. I'm having a hard time imagining he was interested in her. She left before I could get her last name or contact info. I haven't spoken to my husband about this, and I don't even know where to start. It was like an emotional drive-by. I have no idea what, if anything, I should do— My position in general is to believe women, but for obvious reasons, I'm really struggling with this.
1: Okay, well, I have a piece of specific advice for this letter writer. Believe this woman.
0: (laughs) We believe Annie.
1: Yeah, believe this specific woman. Uh, who did not stand anything to gain by coming up to a strange artist and revealing this very personal, vulnerable story. And then running away. And then running away in panic and in fear. Uh, The only reason you do not want to believe her is because it would cause you personal pain to view your husband as someone who has committed rape. That is not a good reason not to believe her. So believe her.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, letter writer, your husband, is a rapist. Yeah,
1: that that part, uh, there were several parts in this letter where I wanted to just lay down on the floor the part where you said none of this rose to the level of rape, not two sentences after saying your husband coerced her into sex, barred her from contacting her friends and asking for help, telling her the price of staying in his home was having sex with him and making sure like that they both knew she didn't have the money to leave. That's rape. Mm-hmm. He raped her. Your husband raped that woman
0: and you know that and i think everything in this letter to th- what is really bothering me about this letter is this person disclosed so many things that indicates with me that she knows that victims should be really believed. She knows that whether or not a, someone is a rapist type is relevant in any way to their conduct towards them. She know like she knows that she's being shitty. Yeah. She is so committed to her denial that she is basically lashing out for excuses and she's pulling every victim blaming terrible one and throwing them at at Annie who doesn't right. deserve any of it.
1: Like like letter writer just to, to take a step back, think about the kind of person you want to think yourself as. I imagine that person is non judgmental, non victim blaming, open minded, cares about people who have been harmed. Is that the kind of person who hears a woman say, 15, 12 years ago, I was raped, and thinks, well, you're wearing a polo shirt, so you probably weren't because my husband generally likes girls with piercings? I, just like ask yourself. Does saying that make me feel good about myself? Does it feel like a true thing? Does it feel like a kind thing? Does it feel like a brave thing to say, you know, years and years after this sexual assault, this woman is dressed in a way that I find slightly bland. Therefore, my husband could not have raped her. Like, is that a sentence you're proud of hearing yourself say? Because I got to tell you, I was not impressed when I read
0: it. It does not look good. I also think this is a very important discussion to have. Because a lot of women are married to rapists. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of rapists. A lot of them are married to women. And how do you navigate that?
2: Right. Like going on the numbers of at least one in three women are survivors, a lot of women are married to rapists because someone raped those women. And we're going to repeat, we've already said this once in the episode, but we all have a duty not to let rapists hide. I believe in restorative justice. I don't think that after violence, that person must be thrown off a cliff necessarily all the time. But when you know that someone has committed violence, you have a responsibility as a person in that person's community to not let them hide, to help them take accountability and help them do whatever sort of work, or just hold them accountable and get the fuck out if that makes you feel safest. I don't want to be married to a rapist. I can't imagine that anyone does. So I want to take a... A couple of things I want to say. First, you listed his credentials, right? And that really scared me because when you told me, oh, he's bisexual and was in a queer core band and all of this, what I took more note of was this was a man in his late 30s living near a college campus who often spent time with young college students. My alarm bells are going off right there. That is just a power dichotomy. That is super creepy. We all know. The man who sleeps with women, who's in a queer core band or in the queer community, who's often a lot older, we all know that guy. I want to... Oh, I hate all of those guys.
0: And I just really quick would like to quickly request that the letter writer take a, take, take a step back, take a deep breath, contemplate how many Annie's there might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is only the one who came up to you.
2: Yep. And it sounds like he's now in his 50s, right? So if we're we're saying 12 to 17 years ago... Because cell phones weren't a thing yet. He was in his late 30s then. So this guy got away with it. He got it, sounds like he's gotten off scot free, and that burns me up inside. So now let's talk about what you can do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, first, yes, your husband is a rapist. To answer your question, yes, you are living a lie by pretending your husband is not a rapist. And by protecting a rapist, you're a collaborator, you are doing violence by listing his credibility and trying to destroy Annie's credibility. That's violence. Stop being violent. So, here are your options. Here are some options that I've identified for you. One, if I were in your shoes, I would want some therapy for myself. I would want a lot of support for myself. This is scary. You do not have a job of protecting him. Your job is, in fact, to not let him hide. So, don't let this stop you from reaching out and telling people what you're going through you get support for yourself, this is really scary. There are resources like um there are resources like Philly Stands Up. So stands Up WordPress.com is one example of a transformative justice or community. And they might be able to give you referrals to your own local community. You can also reach out to um therapists who do survivor work, couples therapists who do survivor and um oh, what do we call them? Survivor and perpetrator restorative justice work. There are people in your community who do this work because this work is happening all around us, even though it isn't amplified as much as it should be. That's changing. We're currently living in a groundswell of survivor dialogue and also restorative justice work. So this is, there are more resources than I think ever before for you. Um, So... You've got to talk... To, well, you don't have to do anything. Um, I, f- I strongly encourage you to lay it on the line. Tell him that you know. Tell him what happened. Maybe you want to do that in a mediated conversation with a therapist. I don't know. If I, this were my husband, I would move right the fuck out. And then I would deal with it after that.
1: Right. and And I just... In addition to that, and I know you may have several more specific points, but um, just to point out that you are already at a point where you want so badly to discredit Annie and to credit your husband, that I think if you're not very careful about how you have that conversation, your husband's response Mm -hmm. will be something along the lines of, never heard of her, how sad, what a disturbed young woman, I wish her the best, and you'll say, thank you, honey, I knew you couldn't have done it, let's move on, please don't do that. That would be such a a moral failure of the highest order. It would be an act of spiritual vandalism. And I hope you don't do that because I just want you to think for a minute. Imagine you're Annie. You're in, you know, at this point, it sounds like her 30s. You're going to an art show and you see a picture of the man who raped you when you were in college. And you're distressed and you're shocked and you thought you'd never see him again. And you are in public and the artist is there. And you think... Maybe I can trust her, and you don't know what you're doing. But you go up to her, and you're you're anxious, and you say, I, "I know that guy. He told me I couldn't leave his house. He wouldn't let me call my friends. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anywhere to go. And he said I couldn't leave unless I had sex with him. He said I had to stay and have sex with him. And and then afterwards, you leave. Um, I want you to really imagine what that was like for her. What what it took for her to share that with you. Um, And to keep that in mind every time you are tempted to think, well, my husband's bisexual, so he couldn't rape anyone. My husband played a particular genre of music, so he couldn't have raped anyone. My husband normally likes women who have tattoos, so he couldn't have raped anyone. My husband has never raped me, so he couldn't have raped anyone. I just want to say, when it comes to rapists and abusers, they always have people in their life they never show that side of themselves to, and that is on purpose. That is not because they have made a meaningful change or wrestled at all significantly with the harms they have done. They are investing in those people so that someday when it comes out, they can say, let me call on my wife. Let me call on my friend I never raped. Let them come out and say, he was always great to me. That was on purpose. That was
0: rape insurance. It's especially crucial that you don't do this violence to her in this case, because what did Annie want from this situation? She came up to you. She disclosed an incredibly painful thing, which is probably extremely difficult for her to do. She left in a panic. Why did she do that? She wanted Craig to know that he's a rapist. She wanted Craig's partner to know that Craig is a rapist. It is your responsibility now to sit with that knowledge and know that Craig is a rapist.
1: Yep. She was not, you know, sometimes whenever someone's trying to discredit someone who comes forward about rape, there's always like, oh, they want attention and money. You know, like the big prize scholarships and cash that comes with accusing someone of rape. Um, And to just think like, she was not seeking to get anything out of this. This She did this at great personal cost. Mm-hmm. And you need to honor the integrity and the courage that it took her in that moment. Um, you need to get up to her level. Don't sink to your husband's. Whew.
2: Rape insurance is such an amazing turn of phrase. I'm going to use it all the time. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry, but also, please, I, I don't believe that I am the coiner of that phrase. I'm sure that I have heard it elsewhere. I know that that's a sentiment that other people have expressed, just for whatever it's worth. Um, I don't know offhand if there's a particular person who coined that phrase, but uh, it is out there. It's it's kind of an existing dynamic um, with, with rape and abuse. So
2: yeah, and it's letter a good ri- one. Sorry. No, go ahead. Letter writer, if Craig is wonderful through and through and everything you want to think of him now... Maybe he's done—it sounds like your marriage is recent. Maybe he's done a lot of work. Then he'll get to show you. Mm -hmm. He'll get to show you that by doing real restorative justice work, by handling it head-on, by doing his soul-searching, by being honest with you. The fact that he wasn't already, though, Mm
1: -hmm. it's not a good good sign. sign. No, and if his response is just, I don't know what she's talking about, or she must have misunderstood, or I don't remember it that way, that is not a sufficient response. He's not reckoning with the reality.
2: No. I couldn't be married to that guy. No, and I am so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for your loss of esteem and trust in your husband. He betrayed you. Yep. He betrayed every single person he has ever known or touched. This is a betrayal. I'm so sorry, letter writer. Also, stop being an asshole,
1: man. I want to skip the next letter. Honestly, this is so. Oh my god. Oh, it's so easy though. Get a divorce. Yeah. All right. Fair. <laughs> all right. Great. Done. So the answer to that one is the subject was just dead met marriage. Um, Dear Prudence, after 17 years and three kids ages from 7 to 17, I know my marriage is dead with no hope of relationship with my husband improving. We manage the day-to-day details of the family, but there's no warmth, love, or trust. I know we should split up, but having to split custody of the kids and the damage to our standard of living caused by divorce is upsetting. Neither option, staying in the marriage or leaving, seems acceptable. I'm stagnant at a loss for what to do. Any advice? Yeah, those are
0: your only two options. You have outlined them correctly. You should leave. I'm pretty sure that um, having to split custody of the kids and damage to our standard of living caused by divorce is upsetting, is a stand-in for the fact that you don't want to deal with the non-trivial, in fact, major discomfort that comes from a total life upheaval. But you have also identified that you need to do that, so you need to do that.
1: Yep. No, and like the the blow to your standard of living is super real, especially uh, to women. Women definitely tend to come out financially disadvantaged in divorces, and that's real and that sucks. But you also seem very clear on the fact that you cannot keep doing this. You guys aren't even like friendly co-parents that can kind of eke out another five or 10 years of sort of like shift changes. Um, Your marriage is dead. The subject line is dead marriage. File for divorce.
2: Standard of living and quality of life are not the same thing. You may have some financial hardships that you may or may not bounce back from, but your quality of life is going to improve.
1: So much. So much. Cool. All right. Let's move ahead. Enjoy your divorce. Yeah. You're, you're going to be a lot happier. Mazel tov. All right. One of you guys gets to read the longest letter. Um, I think it should be you because you're the one with all the legal expertise and all the super helpful <laughs> advice at the end.
2: I really thought this was a former client. I was like, oh, no, you're back in court. Um, <laughs> all right. It's subject.
1: Can you say stuff like that on the air as a lawyer? Sure. Why not?
2: Yeah, because the it's not a former client.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that would explain it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay, great. If it was, I wouldn't. Okay.
2: Subject, transition on hold. Dear Prudence, I'm a 31-year-old trans guy. I've been out and presenting as male for the past two and a half years. I'd very much like to start testosterone therapy soon since my health insurance covers it, but I live in a place where lawyers and judges are super conservative. My lawyer says I should go for it if it means so much to me, but it will definitely hurt my case against the father of my seven-year-old daughter, whom I'm prosecuting for sexual abuse towards both our child and myself. Lawyer says it will make it harder for them to believe me and or grant me sole custody of my daughter, which could take up to a year. I know he's the lawyer is probably right, and my mother, who is otherwise supportive, agrees that I should wait until this gets sorted out quote-unquote, since I've been waiting since I was a teenager. I do understand how important it is to put this guy in jail so he can't molest other victims, and priority number one has to be protecting my child. However, I find it very painful to keep waiting indefinitely. I need to know there will be an end to this soon in order to get the strength to keep moving forward. Where I live, it can sometimes take up to three or even seven years to resolve a case like this, so there's no knowing how long it's going to take, and it's important to acknowledge the fact that half the people like me, kill themselves over feeling sick over their own body. Personally, I'd stopped having suicidal thoughts when I started living like a man, thinking the rest of transition would come along soon enough. Now this trial has begun, there's no knowing when my transition will happen. I believe making sure my daughter has a living father, taking care of her is another way of protecting her. So I need to make sure I will stay alive through this endless trial. I'm losing terrain to dysphoria and depression again, and I don't know what to do It's not something I can fix with therapy or medication if my experience with both so far is anything to go by. I need to know this transition is happening soon. My parents and aunt are supportive. They just don't seem to understand how important this is to me because they keep saying things like, you've waited this long, you can wait a little longer, as if every day wasn't a struggle. I know I should be patient, but three to seven years, just as an Argentina comes slow, is a long time to wait when you've already waited for 15. I fear suicidal thoughts and general depression will be back if I keep going as I have, with no certainty that there will be an end to this torture soon. Therapy isn't working. Antidepressant meds aren't an option. So what else is there left to endure this torturous weight?
1: Woo. Jump right back in. I know you just said a mouthful, but it's all on you again.
2: Letter writer. First, I am a trans man and I'm giving you a big radio hug. I love you, and I see you, and I care about you, and I hear that you are feeling suicidal. I hear that, I see that loud and clear, and your life is precious to me and to the whole world. Let's start there. All right, next, (laughs) here's your advice. Just do it. Just fucking transition. So I'm an attorney. I have uh, been a consultant on a lot of cases that deal with this exact question. We've got a trans party in a lawsuit. And how, how should we handle it? Should we reveal their are transness? Should this person delay transition if litigation is going to go on for a long time? Right? There are so moving, many moving parts. And it gets very fact-specific. And people do make strategic choices. What I heard in your very fact-specific letter is that you've already been out for two and a half years that means this information is very discoverable. And if your ex wants to hurt you, as they probably do, and uh, opposing counsel wants to hurt you and discredit you, this can be found and can and probably will be used against you. So I think there's a good chance that this is a moot argument. And there there are a lot of facts we don't have. This is a fact-specific situation. But just going on what I'm seeing, I think that... You might be best served by getting ahead of this. So, there are a few things to remember. One, um, the court case might not come out right for you anyway. Two, you can't be a good parent to your child if you're dead, which might happen if you don't transition. Three, you can just get a new attorney. Your attorney can get help. And there may be a number of options. I'm not familiar with the Argentinian legal system, but there may be a number of options for you doing testimony remotely, for you moving away, kind of doing basically a, like, look, this is a domestic violence case, and uh, the letter writer should be protected and should be granted, like, an injunction, sole custody while litigation is going on. I don't know so many facts here, but there are often some pragmatic tools to be accessed, So now I've got a note for your attorney. (laughs) Um, Your attorney might do very well to reach out to an organization called the National Center for Lesbian Rights or other kinds of impact litigation um, organizations that do uh, queer and trans advocacy. NCLR is wonderful. They are in the United States, but um, they're a really well-known organization that maybe has some good referrals and some good ideas. I'm not familiar with the landscape in Argentina, but if there are other like GLBT legal groups in Argentina, reach out to all of them. Ask them if there are folks, one, who might become your new attorney, two, who might be co-counsel or just a consultant with your attorney. It sounds like your attorney didn't totally shut you down, but has a very bleak outlook, which may or may not be accurate. Um. But there are, there are tools for your attorney. There are also possibly other attorneys out there for you. And there may be legal tools that you can use to protect yourself more. But at the end of the day, honey, you go to the doctor. I'm so glad you have health insurance. I'm so glad you have a mom and an aunt who support you. This is awesome. And I want you to start meds right away. Mazel tov. I'm so proud of you for taking good care of yourself.
1: Oh. This ended on a slightly more hopeful note than I was thinking we would, just because this episode has been so intense. And I'm so glad that we have found, like, a moment of solidarity and love and affirmation and at least the hope of the possibility of something that is not totally bleak. Yeah. It's a gift of the wishing boot. (laughs) If I had the wishing boot, I would wish that, man— At the very least, when all of us were confronted with the possibility of violence and or sexual violence in our own homes and families and friends and social circles, our first response would not be, let's ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. Although I guess if I had a magical wishing boot, first I would wish for those acts of violence. Probably wouldn't be in this position. Not to have taken place. But I don't know. Maybe it's just one boot.
2: Is the wishing boot a time machine?
1: Well, the wishing boot we know can be a dog. dog.
0: (laughs) And it's also you.
1: Yeah. And it sometimes can be impersonated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we can, be, we can be misled by false wishing boots. Pretender. You guys are my wishing boot.
2: <laughs> I wish for you
1: on my wishing boot. <laughs> and one of these days I'm going to come to your trivia night.
2: Oh, gosh.
0: And we're going to have I such a good so. time. Yes, please come to our trivia night. You'll nail it.
1: I mean, sure. In as much as I'm sure I will demand that you tailor all of the questions specifically to me and my interests. So...
2: Well, on October 30th, it's our Halloween game, and there will be a dog costume contest. Oh. 7.30 p.m. at Shotwell's Bar in the Mission in San Francisco. Yeah, look. Come see dogs. Look. Sold. <laughs> Last year, there was Sometimes a, there are bunnies. Mm-hmm, there was a bunny named Dustin Hopman dressed as a T-Rex. What's a
1: dinosaur. <laughs> that is so much. I actually need a minute, again, to lie down on the floor because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was not In the good way. <laughs> for any of that. Guys, um, thank you so much much. I, I love you. I wish I could envelop you both to my bosom. Um, <laughs> you both mean a great deal to me. And thank you just so much for the thoughtfulness and love and moral clarity and courage you brought to our questions today. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dear prudence to subscribe. The Wish and Boot, beautiful and true.